Amen. Grace is good news, isn't it? God's riches at Christ's expense, okay? Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, what does it say? A wretch. It's a word that's kind of gone out of vogue. Uh, a sinner. A mess like me. And a mess like you. And this church believes in messes to miracles, don't we? Uh, that Jesus Christ can encounter any situation, any mess, uh, and through the hope of the cross, redeem it and give the hope of the resurrection. This is the good news of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Our kids zone today, they're talking about the prodigal son. Uh, the prodigal who left the home, the prodigal who rejected his dad, considered his dad dead, went to a far country, wallowed with the pigs, and lost everything, and then he came to his senses, and then he thought, well, if I go home, maybe my father, uh, maybe I can work for him, and, uh, but what did the dad do? You guys know the parable. The dad rejoiced, and he ran to his son, and he threw the cloak, and he threw a party, and, and, and what a joy it is. And, and the fact, the scripture says that there is more joy in heaven over what? Over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need not. So friend, if you are here uh, with us today and, and you've not encountered this one called Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, crucified, dead, buried, risen again uh, at New Hope, we want to proclaim him as Lord and he is the good news of salvation, isn't he? Amen. And by grace we're saved. And so that uh, sets the stage. Here we go into the book of Psalms. Uh, and uh, we're in Psalm 63. Right in the center of your Bible, turn to Psalms. Uh, it's the easiest book to find. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? You can just like right in the middle. It's Psalms. You don't have to do the old turn the page thing. And Psalm 63. Uh, and again, if, uh, for those of you who have not been here, uh, we are uh, through with this series. We, we teach expositionally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We usually take an entire book of Scripture, uh, but uh, during this season of the church life, uh, we are taking 17 of the Psalms. Uh, and, and there's psalms for every season of life, every emotion, every anxiety, every fear, every difficulty, uh, high points, low points. And, and the 17 psalms that we're taking are psalms of thanksgiving a series called Thanks Be to God. Uh, and, uh, and the Psalms that has been called by uh, early church fathers and throughout the centuries, uh, the Psalms have been called this. They've been called honey for bitter medicine, balm for human salvation, potion which is effective to cure disease, water jugs containing heavenly wine. And one of my favorites, the Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. The Psalms are a collection of prayers. Uh, they are songs that, that were uh, written, poems that are intended to be sung. And uh, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but that, uh, there are over 3,500 songs, Christian worship songs, recorded directly from the book of Psalms. Over 3,500 songs written just from this one book alone. In fact, from Psalm 63, uh, our psalm for today, two of the most famous ones, we sang one today, Your love, O Lord, is better than life. And one, Rich Mullins, for those of you who uh, know names like that, uh, Rich Mullins sings, uh, Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. You guys know that one? Oh God, you are, come on, don't leave me hanging. You are my God, and I will ever praise you. It's right here, Psalm 63. This psalm is a fantastic psalm. Uh, it was written by David. You've heard of him, haven't you? Uh, David, the one who conquered Goliath at the high point, uh, the one who committed 
adultery with Bathsheba at the low point. Psalms written about both of those occasions. If you ever wonder, if you're reading the Psalms, why it seems so schizophrenic, uh, it's because a guy like David had highs and lows. A guy just like you, a guy just like me. Uh, And imagine if you recorded through poetry and sung songs at every season of your life. You would have songs of great victory and triumph. You would have songs of great low points and despair. Have mercy on me, O God. That's the guy who writes the psalm. Here he speaks of being in a wilderness, a time of distress. Most wilderness psalms, in fact, 33% of the psalms, 50 out of 150 psalms, are whining complaints. Life's not fair and God doesn't care. I like those psalms. Because 33% of my life seems to be spent in those moments where it's like, life's not fair and God, don't you care? Well, he talks in this psalm about being in that wilderness, but unlike most psalms uh, that are in a wilderness season, this psalm is not a complaint. Uh, This psalm, in fact, there's no request made of God. He doesn't ask God to do anything. It is 100% praise. The best way to picture the psalm is like Death Valley. How many have been to Death Valley? Dry, hot, desert, thirsty, Uh, with places called Badwater Basin, Devil's Golf Course, Funeral Mountain, and my favorite, I stayed there in August, Furnace Creek. Doesn't that just make you want to go there? And in the month of July, the average temperature in Furnace Creek, Death Valley, is 116 degrees. Death Valley. This psalm is like Death Valley, yet in the midst of the dry, arid desert, uh, there are flowers which spring forth in beauty. When we were there in August, uh, this is one of the pictures that uh, we were able to take there in Death Valley. Uh, And in the midst of the arid landscape, in the midst of this desert environment, flowers are springing forth, and one of our friends took this shot. Isn't that awesome? Right in the midst of Death Valley, the, most, the hottest, arid, most desert, wilderness environment in America, there is, there is life that is springing forth. And here in Psalm 63, it is like flowers in the desert. It's praise in the wilderness. David is in a Death Valley, so to speak, of his life, uh, and yet he cries out, the physical points to the spiritual, and he's going to say in verse 1, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh, it faints for you. All of the physical surroundings is pointing to a spiritual reality of how desperately we need God. I mean, it's just parenthetically here. Do you need God like that? My soul longs for you. It faints for you as in a dry and weary land. Well, that's the landscape of Psalm 63. It is like flowers of praise bursting forth in the wilderness. I want you to see these uh, just briefly. It's kind of an overview, but look at these praises. All of these, by the way, are different Hebrew words all of which express a different facet of praise. Verse 3, my lips will praise you. That means to shout in triumph to the Lord. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. It means this. It means to kneel and adore the Lord. He's saying, I will shout in triumph. I will kneel before the Lord. Verse 4, in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will extol and praise your name. I will exalt your name for who you are. Verse 5, my mouth will 
praise you with joyful lips. The word is halal, which is hallelujah, hallelujah. I will boast, I will clamorously shout, I'm going to make a fool of myself for your awesome name. Verse 7, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. The word there means to sing with shouts of rejoicing. And in verse 10, the king shall rejoice in God, full of joy. And verse 11 as well, all who swear by him shall exalt, which again means to clamorously celebrate. Okay, let me pause. What comes to your mind when you think of someone who shouts, lifts hands, celebrates, makes a fool of themselves, clamorously celebrates, and is just going nuts. What comes to your mind? Sports. The closest the United States gets to Psalm 63, the closest we get to touching this is in the realm of sports. I like sports, by the way. Do you like sports? I'm sure you do. In fact, uh, here's a little lesser known trivia. When I was in junior high, I was that guy. Uh, I'm a proud black and gold Trojan. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, When Traverse City was one school, amen, hallelujah. I was the Trojan. I was the guy. Junior high, I went to a big district final game, basketball, and, and I was the guy, shirt off, half my body painted black, half painted gold, running down the sideline with a flag. I thought about doing it today, but <laughs> in fact, uh, my wife, she, I, we talk about these times when I was foolish in my youth, and my wife will say, I'm so glad I didn't know you then. <laughs> Psalm 63, David is expressing an anthem of praise. I mean, picture him with face painted, flag waving, total allegiance and praise to God. And isn't it interesting in our culture how when we look at uh, the sports realm and people going crazy, uh, isn't it interesting that uh, we think that, man, they're passionate, man, they're loyal, they're faithful, they're awesome. And then when we see somebody lift a hand in worship, sometimes we're like, what are they doing? And yet our God is worthy of praise. Now, whether you decide to lift your hands or not is not the point, but I think the question begs asking, what is it that makes you most passionate? What is it that gets you most excited? And here David is in this wilderness, in this desert, and he is satisfied by tapping into the reservoir of living water. One of the things I found out about Death Valley, interestingly enough, is that under the surface of Death Valley is one of the world's largest underground reservoirs of water. And this is David's life. As David is in this wilderness, it's hot, it's dry, it's arid, it's a desert, and yet underneath the heart of David, he is tapping into the reservoir of living water, the living water which still exists to this day, that if you come and you drink of it, Jesus promises you will never thirst again. The sermon is called, thanks be to God, our satisfaction. It is an invitation to every weary mom. Moms, it's an invitation to drink and be satisfied. It's an invitation to widows to say, Come and drink from the well of a God who is with you in your grief. It's an invitation to frustrated employees that God is the fountain of all hope. It's an invitation to the addict that God offers water that satisfies the deepest need and the highest pleasure is in him.
So if you're taking notes in your bulletin, this is number one. Thanks be to God who gives satisfaction. He does, doesn't he, church? He does. He satisfies. Verse 1, take a look at it. He says, oh God, oh God. That's a phrase that's used often in our culture, isn't it? That's a phrase that's used often. In fact, one of the biggest uh, challenges I know that some of you face on the workplace, whether it's in the shop or on the construction field, one of the biggest challenges you face is that that phrase and that name is used over and over and over again and is rarely used in worship. Oh, God, it makes the top ten, by the way. The Lord's top ten. The Lord says, uh, number three on the list, he says, you shall uh, not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Here, it's a statement of worship. And isn't that the right standpoint? Whenever the word proceeds from our lips, whether you're a teen and you're texting, OMG, or whether you're an adult and you're using the name, should we not use the name with reverence? Should we not? And thankfully, for all those times that we've cursed that name and we've abused his name and we've, we've not shown reverence for that name, thankfully, we can even there, we can turn to the cross of Jesus Christ and find grace and forgiveness and repentance. But here in Psalm 63, he says, oh God, and it is a standpoint of worship. It is a standpoint of surrender. You are God, and interestingly enough, Jesus Christ, he says on the cross, doesn't he? Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, David says, oh, God. Uh, look, keep going. It says this, oh, God, you are. Uh, this is good. This is good news. Uh, good news, okay? This is good news for every adulterer like David who committed adultery with Bathsheba. It's good news for every addict. It's good news for every sinner. Oh, God, you are what? You are my God. That personal pronoun. Isn't that awesome? You are my God. My God. Personal relationship. Uh, maybe you grew up in dead orthodoxy, did you? Maybe you grew up where, where God felt like a distant deity and church uh, kind of felt like it was inconsequential and it really didn't resonate and religion felt cold. In fact, in a study in 2002, uh, get this, a study of churchgoers, 33% have never felt God's presence at church in their life. 33%. 46% said their life had not changed at all as a result of attending church. And I'm thankful to be a part of a church, and I know there's others in our community. In fact, one of my friends is here from another local church uh, where our hearts was moved in the Traverse City area a year ago. Man, we felt God's presence there in a powerful way. And, and uh, it, it, isn't it good to be a part of a church where God's presence is there? And, and maybe you're coming back, and by the way, uh, 42% of U.S. adults uh, polled, uh, 42% of U.S. adults are unchurched. They haven't been to church in six months, and maybe that's you today, and you've come in, and, and you, it's been a long time, and your taste of church was like distant deity, dead orthodoxy, uh, but here, let me just uh, encourage you, verse 1, oh God, you are what? You are my God, personal relationship, and that was what God is all about. He's about restoring a broken relationship so that he is a personal father. This is what he's called, isn't he? He is our father. Jesus, teach us to pray. Well, this then is how you should pray. Say it with me, some of it. Our father which art in heaven. Our father. It's that personal relationship. And at New Hope, we introduce you to him. The father God, the eternal son, Jesus Christ, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Saul. Let's take a look what David says. In the midst of this, oh God, you are my God, uh, he has repetition here. Verse, verse uh, uh, well, where is it? How about this? 
I can't find it. Oh, here it is. Verse 1, verse 5, and verse 8. There we go. He talks about my soul. Uh, My soul, three times. He says, my soul, my soul, my soul. Let's drop to the bottom, verse 8. Let's work in reverse order. Verse 8, he says, my soul, it clings to you. My soul clings to you. Clinging is what a mom does to her children, right? Moms, you ever with me on that? You just cling, you hold them tight, you just love them. The word here, clinging, means to, it literally means to glue, to adhere together. Uh, It it means that you take two pieces uh, that were uh, originally separated and they were apart, uh, and you take this glue and, and, and you open it up, I think. And, and, and you, you take the glue and you spread it on there and, and then you take this other piece and, and then you clamp it together. This is the meaning of this word here. He says, my soul, it clings to you. I mean, I'm tight, man. That's not going anywhere. My soul is glued to you. It's adhered to you. And this is what David says. My soul, it is clinging. It adheres to you. Uh, glue, interestingly enough, is what we use in our culture to piece two things that are broken or separated and we bring them together. And this is what we celebrate at New Hope when a broken sinner like me and a broken mess, maybe like you're experiencing, is brought into the kingdom of God and through Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between the Father and us, he brings together two things which were not reconciled before. He brings them together and he reconciles them united in Christ and one with him in spirit. This is what David celebrates. He says, my soul clings. Uh, My soul is attached to you. It adheres to you. Does that describe you? Look at verse 5. This is a challenge to me. My soul, he says in verse 5, is satisfied with you. Satisfied, it means to make full, to fill to the very brim. Yesterday and this morning, oh man, I am totally full with oatmeal cookies, man. I'm telling you. Yesterday, my kids made some. I'm telling you, full, satisfied to the brim. Got up and had some more this morning. Anybody have a weakness in that area? Okay, satisfied. I went to a buffet this week, a China buffet with a good friend of mine, an elder here at New Hope, and we had Chinese buffet. Man, I love Chinese buffet, but guess what happens? Two hours later, I'm hungry again. No matter what we fill that with in our lives, no matter what food we go to, but, but look what David says here in verse 5. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Anybody give me, give me an amen there, right? You like fat and rich foods? Okay, he's making a comparison, okay? Uh, but even the food leaves us hungry. But David is saying, the, the very thing that I long for and desire and I'm satisfied and that's flat, satisfied by flesh... I am satisfied with you. The deep reservoir of the heart. This is what the soul is. It is that deepest point of longing and desire and and the thing that we try to stuff with. We try to stuff it with food and we try to stuff it with sex and we try to stuff it with alcohol. We try to stuff it with uh, money and possessions. Uh, You ever do any of that stuff? I mean, I mean we, 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 do, we, we go to every other thing. We try to stuff the soul with it. But at the end of the day, God created us to be satisfied with him. And David says, my soul is satisfied with you. Well, this is one place where the Rolling Stones and Mick Jagger had it right. 
I can't get no. What is it? Anybody want to sing that? <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. Look at the lyrics. I can't get no satisfaction, and it goes through all the different points of the journey of trying to get satisfaction here, trying to get it there, trying to get it with girls, trying to get it with it. Try, you, and, and the refrain, I can't get no satisfaction. And David says, well, I found it. I found it, and it's in the Lord. Now we back up to verse 1. What else does he say about the soul? My soul clings to you. My soul is satisfied with you. Oh, look at verse 1. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul thirsts. In honor of deer season, as the deer panteth for the water, right? Okay, uh, great lyrics right out of the psalm. Really lame song, though, okay? I've never felt so depressed in my life than when I sing that song, all right? <laughs> but it's true. As the deer pants for water, longs for water, and here in the psalms he says, my soul, it longs for you. My flesh faints for you. I need the Lord, and I long for him. Have you ever gone a day or two without water? What is it like when you're dry and thirsty and you are desperately in need of water? You would give anything to get it. And this imagery, David says, my soul, it, it thirsts, it longs for you as in a dry and weary land. So here we have my soul clings, my soul satisfied, my soul thirsts. Uh, let me illustrate. I grew up near a man-made pond. You guys ever uh, been to a man-made pond, okay? A man-made pond, there's no springs, there, there's no fresh water, there's no current coming in, there's no river. Uh, and, and, the, and the tendency of a man-made pond is what? It, it grows algae, it begins to stink, and, and, and it just, I mean, there's nothing uh, good about drinking out of a man-made pond that is uh, stinking with algae, well, that represents the human condition. We lay on our belly. We seek to quench our thirst at every man-made pond imaginable. In fact, take a look at this verse, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Jeremiah 2, chapter 2 says this. It says that my people have forsaken me, the fount of living waters. And it goes on to say they, they've, they, they've forsaken me and they've turned to cisterns that cannot hold water. That is us. And the great invitation of the Lord, though, is to every one of us. He says, hey, come away with me. Come away from that bacteria-filled, man-made pond and take a drink from the ever-flowing, crystal-clear, spring-fed, all-satisfying great lake of living water. Jesus Christ offers that invitation. In John chapter 7, he says this, whoever believes in me, from within him will have streams of living water. It means to trust in him, to surrender to him with all of your life and to say, I believe in you and I'm satisfied with you. Do you need that? Today, you can call upon him as Lord. Thanks be to God who gives satisfaction. Let's look at the rest of the psalm. Thanks be to God who gives satisfaction from morning till evening. He has a beautiful contrast here in verse 1 and verse 6. He says this. Let's go back to the very beginning. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Literally, it means early in the morning. 
early in the morning I seek you. And look at verse 6. Verse 6 it says, uh, and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. From morning till evening, Father, I am satisfied in you. The morning time. What do you do in the morning? What's your morning routine? Some of you make coffee. Any coffee drinkers? Some of you turn the TV on. Some of you check email. Some of you change a child's diaper. Good thing to do. Uh, Some of you smoke cigarettes in the morning. Some of you rush to work. Well, here's what the psalmist does. Uh, The very first thing he does, he says, I get to meet the Lord. Early in the morning I seek you. Do you do that? I heard of a man recently, a New Hope man. He wakes up at 4.15 every morning so he can spend one hour with the Lord before he gets about his day. 4.15. He spends 60 minutes with the Lord. And when I hear about that, I think, wow, that is dedication. That's bad. What would make you wake up at 4.15 in the morning? Anybody? What, what would make you wake up, right? I mean, it's either like duty, paycheck, or it's delight, hunting or fishing. And I like both of those, but I'm telling you, there's nothing better than to get up early in the morning and spend time with the God who satisfies the soul. Can I give you a challenge? especially new, hope, new hopers, can I give you a challenge? Would you make a six-day challenge this week? Would you make a six-day challenge this week to spend 30 minutes in the Lord, with the Lord in the morning before you start your day? Read one chapter of the Proverbs, submit your day to him in prayer, and ask the Lord, God, show me your will today. Keep me from temptation. Would you do that with me? Six days this week. Join me, read one chapter of Proverbs, 30 minutes every morning before you start your day. This psalm right here was known as the morning hymn, by the way. In the early church, it's known as the morning hymn. And it was said of old that no day should begin without singing this psalm, the morning hymn. And I believe that many spiritual victories are won or lost on the battleground of personal devotion in the morning. When we have them and we meet with the Lord, we are so more apt to overcome temptation and resist temptation during the day. And when we fail to seek the Lord in the morning, many victories are failed to be had. So I encourage you to join me six days this week. Let's talk night watches. Verse 6, take a look at it again. Verse 6 says, uh, at night, uh, in the night watches, uh, I seek you. In the night watches, uh, my, my soul, it meditates upon you. Now, this is not some weird, uh, mystical, Eastern mysticism meditation. This is where my mind and my heart is centered on God's word, and I'm thinking about his word. I'm pondering what it means that he is my helper, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Verse 7, I'm thinking about the word. I'm meditating upon it and, and I'm pondering the greatness of our God I meditate upon you in the watches of the night uh, the, in Jewish tradition there are three watches of the night they're military watches and sentinels would stand on post and what David seems to be saying here is this when I cannot sleep when I'm tossing and turning and, and when and when the owls are out and when and when and when my, my alarms and my body are just not allowing me to go to sleep in those moments anybody ever been there where Ambien and Lunesta are not working and high anxiety and soul stress, and you're just awake in the middle of the night, David says it's right there that the Spirit of God is with me and I'm meditating on his word. 
How much better is that than getting up and flipping through channels or checking emails? How much better is it to meditate upon the word of the Lord? And this is what David is doing. So I would just ask you, how would life change? Christian, how would life change if you reprioritize your schedule to prioritize early morning to meet the Lord and late at night in the night watches to meditate upon his word? What does that look like in your life? And do you think that the Lord would be calling you to make an action step uh, to spend time with him? Isn't that good news? <laughs> that we have a God who is my God, who desires to meet with us in fellowship. Thanks be to God who gives satisfaction from morning till evening and in public and in private. This is the last point. Take a look at it with me. Uh, this contrast between the public and the private. Verse 2, he says this, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. The sanctuary here is that, it's that public assembly. It's the gathering. It's the Sunday mornings. It's, it's where we prioritize the assembly together of the believer, of which we should not forsake doing. And I would just tell you, share with you as your pastor, uh, that, uh, that Sunday morning is one of my best hours of the week. I love to be with you. Because this is where we behold God's power in his glory. Isn't that true? And we hear testimonies of people where God has done great things and, and we behold him in worship and we, and we lift his name in the sanctuary and we lay down our trials and, and our hearts are encouraged and the struggles of the week are laid down and worship feeds the logs on the fire of the soul. And yet Sunday worship is under constant attack and our schedule to be unprioritized or deprioritized or pushed down the priority list. And I'm glad that you made a good decision to join us today. And parents, I would say that we have a huge responsibility here to lead our children, don't we? Parents, don't we? To lead our children, to set an example that the public assembly of the believer where we behold his power and his glory is the priority in our house. One of my kids, uh, they, had a, they had a kid come up to them this week in school. And, and the boy was, uh, he was gloating, he was boasting, he was so excited because he got to skip church last Sunday. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Well, this boy was really excited because he got to skip church last Sunday. And they stayed home. And, and I don't know if you knew this last Sunday. Actually, I didn't know it till Monday. But um, uh, I don't know if you knew last Sunday morning, uh, Detroit Lions played in England. And they were on at 9 a.m. in the morning. And so he was so excited to stay home. That's cool. How many like the Lions, anybody? I, mean, I like them sometimes, right, when they, when they win. And, and I'm all cool, you know, if you were there, if you were stayed at home, that's cool too. But, but I would just, let me, let me just uh, speak to you parents, okay? Uh, that's not a good example to set for our kids. Where we say, okay, well, let's prioritize other things over, over the assembly of the, of the, of the believers. And, and, and because that kid someday is going to grow up into an adult, and what are they going to do? Okay? So what we do as parents carries big weight with our kids. And, and so let's prioritize, would you? And so many of you do. And if you're a guest with us, commit to six. Commit to the next six Sundays. Elections are Tuesday. Did you know that? 58% of those recently polled said, 58% said the world is going to hell in a handbasket. That was the poll. Is the world going to hell in a handbasket? 58% of U.S. adults said yes. And I have no idea what the other 42% are thinking. Uh, <laughs> 
because Scripture communicates very clearly the trajectory that we're on, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse, but we serve a King of kings and Lord of lords who's guaranteed victory in the end. And as things get worse in our world, and as more beheadings take place around this globe, and as more persecution takes place, how much more important is going to be the public assembly of the believers with one another? And it starts today. It starts today in your heart where you make a decision, a commitment before the Lord that says, I am going to behold the power and the glory in the sanctuary, the public gathering, and it's not just what happens here. It's what happens in private. Take a look at verse 6. He says, when I meditate upon you on my bed, on my bed, I, I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night, the bed, right, the bed, it, it's the one place the one place where, where, where we, we, the privacy, we shut the door, we stop talking, we get quiet enough to listen, the phone stops ringing, the emails stop uh, being checked, and, and it's in that moment when all the quietness surrounds us for the first time maybe in the whole day or the whole week that our mind is quiet and we think about the existence of life. Is what I'm doing matter? Is my job worth it? What happens after retirement? What happens when I die? Is my marriage going to survive? And it's in that quietness of that moment uh, that we begin to question and, and, and we begin to get still before the Lord sometimes. And it's in that moment that the Spirit of God can speak into our hearts. And David says it's in private that I'm remembering you. I think about you. Friend, the reason that the Psalms Psalm 63 blooms with praise is because David rises early to meet his Lord. He stays up in the watches of the night to commune with his creator. He assembles in public worship where he sees God's glory and his power on display, and he bows a knee in private devotion to seek the face of the Almighty. Do you have that relationship? Because when I read Psalm 63, and we prayed through it yesterday at Saturday prayer, because when I read this psalm, I think, I have a long ways to go. Do you? That thirsting, that longing for the Lord. And all of this thirsting and longing for the Lord and, and the glory and the power of God, all of it is beautiful and praiseworthy, and it's all set in contrast. It's set in contrast to what this world is like. Here's the average person of the world, verse 9. You want to see the average person? Here's the average person. But those who seek to destroy my life, uh, he's talking about those who are not satisfied in the Lord. Those who seek to destroy my life, they shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Okay, that's like bad news right there, right? That's like roadkill. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Now, what David is getting at here, uh, it's very vivid language, very metaphorical language, but it communicates a powerful truth that those who rejoice in God are satisfied, while those who don't rejoice in God, they go down to the depths of the earth. They, uh, they, they shall be food for jackals, the power of the sword. It, it's all that imagery of the division between the righteous and the ungodly. And it's what Scripture holds out time and time again, that those who seek the Lord are satisfied and those who do not seek the Lord are not satisfied. And the question, friend, is which are we? We will rejoice in the Lord. Would you bow your head with me today? And we're going to release our Bel Air campus at this time. 
in these last moments, let me just ask you, and between you and God, speak to him in the quietness of your heart right now. Oh God, you are my God. Is that true of you? Is God your God? And have you entered a personal relationship with him? Uh, tell him right now, in the quietness of this moment, tell him right now what your deepest desire is with him, how you want to long and dwell with him and commune with him. What action step is the Lord calling you today? Does your soul thirst for the Lord? Is there a man-made pond today that you need to leave behind in order to increase the thirst for the fount of living water? Is God calling you to an action step of early in the morning, rising to meet the face of God every day this week and maybe starting a new thing in your heart where you're seeking the Lord every single day? Or maybe it's the night watches, or maybe it's a public assembly in the sanctuary. What action step? Take 10 seconds. Is God calling you to an action step today to put Psalm 63 into practice? Let's pray. Our Father, we rejoice in you. Our spirit is glad in you. Oh God, you are my God, our God. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have confidence in that. While the unbeliever, Father, goes down to the depths of the earth, we as believers in Jesus the Christ, we have the hope of resurrection. And we give you praise today that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. May you give us as a church and may you bless the other churches in our area, Father, that proclaim the gospel, the good news. May you give a thirsting and a hunger for the things of God. And as this world is headed uh, towards hell in a handbasket, as those polled said, uh, would you create and sustain a remnant of God's people that are bold and courageous and thirsting for the things of God. And we praise you today that the doors of the kingdom are always open and you say, come, you who thirst, come and, and drink from the water that I give. And the water that you give is free of charge. We thank you for your grace. Would you sing this with me, Rick? Church, sing. Let's stand together.